So after our long um, series in Romans, we are now in between books because I like, as you know, I like to preach through books of, of the Bible and take some time in that. So we're, we're in between and we're doing a four-week series on what we're calling the four Gs. And this, by the way, is um, originally put out by, in a book by Tim Chester. So if you're looking for more information, you can read that. It's called You Can Change. The idea of the four G's. Now, they all come from Scripture, and that's why we're using these Scriptures on these four Sundays to be looking at these different aspects. So, God is great. We looked at last week. And then the corollary to that is if we believe God is great, then we don't have to be in control. So today we're going to be looking at God is good, and then we're going to do God is glorious and God is gracious. So God is great was last week. God is good is this week. And again, the premise behind um, this, what Tim Chester was proposing, which I find to have a lot of validity, is that behind every sin is a lie about God. We tend to focus on the sin itself and the thing that we're doing that's wrong, but we don't often take time to look at what's behind that. What would, what's going on inside of me that would make me want to behave in a way that I don't want to behave. Even the Apostle Paul, we looked at that scripture not too long ago. Even Paul said, um, do it, is anyone else hearing that buzzing a little bit? I'm not sure that's coming from. Let me mute a few things here just to make sure. Might be one of our other microphones, so let me turn those down. See if that helps. Um, so, so behind every sin is a lie about God. So um, we may be believing that God isn't really great. In other words, that God can't really control our circumstances. Now, if I asked you or if I asked myself, I would say, well, of course I believe God's great. I, I know that mentally. But I'm not believing it. If I'm not believing it in my life, then it's going to come out that I'm going to be trying to take control rather than allowing God to take control. And I might take control of others around me as well or try to. So that's what we looked at last week. And one of my favorite <clears throat> scriptures that helps me think about this is how the man came to Jesus and fell before him in Mark's gospel in Mark 9. And he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What that illustrates is that we can believe here in our head and say, I believe, Jesus, that you are who you say you are. But help my unbelief because it's not practical yet. It's not being lived out in my life. So there's two sides of belief, this sort of ability to confess and to say with our mind that we believe and the, the ability to fully believe with our heart and to live it out. So today we're going to be reading John 4, 1 through 30 and then 39 to 42. Now when Jesus learned <clears throat> that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized he left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city <clears throat> called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Excuse me, I am having voice issues this morning, so if I pause, you'll know why. <clears throat> okay. Um, to the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. 
A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water, gushing to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking to you. So just Jesus' disciples come back and they have a bit of a conversation. And then jumping in in verse 39, many Samaritans from that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray that as we enter into this incredible story, that we would be reminded of the truth that you are good, what that looks like for our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. If we say God is good, then the corollary statement that goes with that, if we're believing that, if God is good, then we don't have to look elsewhere. And you can really add anything you want to there. We don't have to look elsewhere for happiness. We don't have to look elsewhere for joy. We don't have to look elsewhere for fulfillment, for meaning, for purpose. If God is good... 
and we believe that God is good, then we don't have to look elsewhere. We don't have to look elsewhere for protection, for security, for safety, for our future. We don't have to look for something to satisfy us or protect us. We don't have to look elsewhere. And when we fully believe that, we find ourselves becoming generous people. Because we're no longer looking for something to satisfy our desire for goodness, but we're filled with it. And we want to share it. We become generous people. Let's look at this story of the woman at the well and how this illustrates this idea. Jesus is heading back to Galilee because he's been drawing too much attention to himself in Judea. People are saying he's more popular than John the Baptist, who's now been arrested. And um, in verses 4 to 5, he enters into Samaria. This area that was really a mixture of peoples. They were a mixed race uh, because they were both Jewish and mixed with the people that the Assyrians brought in after they had conquered Israel. And so they had a mixed ethnicity. They had some strange beliefs. They were somewhat Jewish in orientation and yet they only believed in the Pentateuch. So the first five books of the Bible. Those were the only books they believed in. So the prophets, the rest, the histories, they did not. They worshipped in Mount Gerizim. The site, the traditional site where they think Isaac was almost sacrificed. So that was their place of worship rather than Jerusalem where the temple was. And because of all of these things, they were not uh, the kind of people that good Jews would associate with. Because as you know... As Christian believers, sometimes the most um, the the people we want to least be around are those who take on some form of Christian belief but then twist it. It'd almost be easier to be around people who just say I don't believe it all than to be around those who call themselves Christians and take Jesus to mean something Jesus doesn't mean. So for good Jewish people, Samaria uh, going through Samaria was not. A, a place they enjoyed being because they didn't eat with Samaritans. They didn't drink with Samaritans. And so Jesus finds himself, <clears throat> as he's fully human, thirsty in the desert after walking. And he's at this well. And he's at this well in the middle of the day. And for any of you who have traveled to um, other places where it's very hot almost all the time, you know that in the middle of the day is not the time you want to be doing any kind of labor. That's why many countries who are smarter than we are take the middle of hot days off and work later in the cool of the day or earlier in the cool of the day. And so Jesus is at the well in the middle of the hottest part of the day and look who's there. A woman. A Samaritan woman. And so Jesus asks her for a drink. Let's look at verses 7 through 9 again. Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food, so his disciples are not there for the conversation. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew... The gift of God, and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, 
and he would have given you living water. So this becomes an interesting conversation now, where you have the Samaritan woman thinking about this water in the well, and Jesus is asking for it, and yet he's saying, if you'd asked me, I would have given you something even better. I would have given you living water. And she's going, but you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get this living water? And it's, it's a very interesting conversation as she is realizing that Jesus is talking about something much more than the physical. She's a Samaritan, and she's a woman, and we find out pretty quickly she's not just a woman, but she's a woman who has been married five times and is currently living with a man she's not married to. And while that may not be as scandalous as it once was in in our culture, um, it often has been, and to some circles still is. And for her, in this culture at this time, this was really scandalous, which explains why she's there when she knows no one else is going to be taking water from the well in the middle of the day. Again, if you go to, um, like I've been to Senegal, and I've been in villages where they still draw water out of wells, and it's a big social activity, still a woman's activity in many of the traditional societies. So the women, they all gather around these wells in the evening before it gets dark, but while it's still cool, and they draw their water for the evening and for the next day. And they have, I mean, when we were in Senegal, when they were doing this, when they were drawing water, they have had, were taking turns pulling on this rope to draw water out. They're standing around, and they, one would pull, another would pull, another would pull, and they had a rhythm going, and they were singing, and clapping, and having fun, and they were talking about their day, and they were, it was just a, an amazing time. And that's a, something that's happened around wells around this world for millennia. And here's this woman all by herself. There's a reason she's there all by herself. So Jesus is talking now not just to a woman who a man would normally not speak to for fear of scandal. And he's talking to a Samaritan who Jews would not normally associate with. He's asking her for a drink, which you wouldn't do. And not only that, she's one of those women that people would go, if Jesus was a prophet, as this was said sometimes, if he's a prophet, he would know who he was talking to. Of course, he is more than a prophet, and he does know who he's talking to. And Jesus says to her, I can give you living water. And do you notice her response? Her first response is, hey, give me that water so I don't have to come back here. So I don't have to come back and be reminded every single day that I'm not accepted and I'm not loved and that my life is hard. Give me that water. That's what I really want. Tim Chester, in his book, he says, It's easy for us to think of obedience as the price we pay for entry into heaven. It would be better for us, we suppose, to be living for pleasure, but as Christians, we have to live for God. But the life of of, of obedience is not the bad or sad life. It's the good life. Life with God and for God is the best life you could live. Change is about enjoying the freedom from sin and the delight in God that God gives to us through Jesus. You see, we think sometimes that we have to behave and be morally good so that God will accept us. And give us good things. Sometimes we we may know, again, if we're pushed, we'll go, well, we know that's not how it works. 
God doesn't just give us good things if we behave, although there are churches that teach that, but most of us, we're theologically grounded, we go, we know that's not how it works. And yet, oftentimes, our belief, the way we live out our life, betrays that. Feeling like if, if I don't attend church enough, or if I don't listen to the right kind of music, or if I don't give enough, or if I don't you know, clean up my language enough, or whatever it is, we're feeling like, if I don't do that, then God's going to withhold His blessing and withhold His goodness, somehow. And then sometimes we actually think, but we don't say, you know, if I wasn't so constrained by my need to get into heaven and be good, I could just forget all this stuff and just live any old way I wanted to and really have a blast and have fun and just think about myself. It's a great deception. And that's what Tim Chester is pointing out. And this woman is an example of that. We don't know her history. It may, it's probably not all her fault, knowing how things worked in that culture at that time. But she's clearly made some disobedient choices in her life. At least we could say right now she's choosing to live with a man who's not her husband. So she knows that she's not even living up to the standards that she believes in in the Pentateuch. And yet it has brought her to this place. There's no joy in it. And Jesus is saying, I can give you living water. And it will transform everything. It will make all the difference. And of course, to her, it sounds a little bit too good to be true. She becomes kind of realistic. Jesus, where's your bucket? Come on. You know, living water, springs of life. But you're asking me for water. You know, we're, sometimes we're so jaded by our experiences of having others let us down. We're so jaded by the fact that things haven't turned out the way we wanted them to turn out that we don't even believe that God can give us what we really want and what we really need. We have a hard time even trusting God's goodness. And the problem with sin is that sometimes when we enter into sin, it does give us temporarily the pleasure that we want. We go out seeking something To fulfill that goodness. And it temporarily gives us something that we really want. And then it fails. And then it hardens us. We get old inside. And we have a hard time believing that anything or anyone can be good. And Jesus says, I will give you this water that is welling up like a spring of life. And you will never be thirsty again. Never be thirsty again. I say it all the time, but when we talk about eternal life, and when we talk about the promises of eternal life in Scripture, we are not talking about some place that we go to. It's a quality of life that only God can give. And we see Jesus talking about that. The spring of water. You're in the middle of the desert. What could be better? This is the kind of thing Jesus can promise. It's a present reality because God is good. God is not going to be good just when we arrive at some place we call heaven after we die. The promise is for eternal life now. In our present circumstances. Because God is good. Um, Sorry, I don't have all my notes here. (laughs) I want to look at verse 15. Or actually, uh, 
So in verse 16, Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come back, right? She says, I have no husband. And then Jesus says, you know, that's right. You, you don't have a husband right now. You're, you've had five and you currently live with uh, someone who's not your husband. And Jesus says one of the most poignant things he says in scripture, which is, or, I mean, she, the woman says this. She says, sir, I see that you're a prophet. And then she immediately wants to deflect it into theology. Did you see how she twisted that? So he, he sees her. He says, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have five husbands. You're coming here. You know, I know why you're here. And you're currently living with it. And she goes, I see that you're a prophet. So now let's talk theology. Because you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And maybe I can just deflect off this whole thing. Right? And sometimes I have to say, this is how we behave as Christians. You know, when we become uncomfortable with our own selves. And with our own failings and our own spiritual struggles, we enter up into a higher level of theology to try to cover up what's going on inside. To cover up the fact that our life, even though we can claim God's goodness, our life doesn't necessarily look like God is good. We're not living that way. And then Jesus, you know, he says to her this this, um, thing that we all know to be true. He says, there's a time coming when we're not going to be arguing about this, because you're not going to worship just in Jerusalem. You're not just going to worship over here. But you're going to worship the Father in spirit and truth. He's going to be with you. That time has arrived for us. Jesus came. He died. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Jesus points out to her that he is the Messiah. And then what happens? Then what happens? The woman, she goes back to the town. And she tells the people, we didn't read this line, but she tells the people, she says... Come see the man who told me everything I have ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? Come check it out. And Jesus, he didn't tell her everything she had ever done. All he said was, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. But why does she say it that way? She says it that way because what Jesus does is he peels it back and he reveals to her... That there's something underneath all of that. We don't know what it is. Jesus knew what it was. There's some reason she's had five husbands and she's living the way she is. There's a reason she's coming to the well at this time of day. There's probably a lot of hurt there. There's probably a lot of pain there. And Jesus simply promises to take all of that away from her and to give her God's goodness. And then she goes and she tells everybody. And they, the whole town comes and then they see him and they hear him. And then they say, and now we believe too. Because you've shown us something that, that, I mean, he's told us now, we don't just believe because of your word. And so Jesus uses this moment to be a missionary for the entire town. Why? Couldn't he have chosen somebody better? I mean, that's how, if we're honest, that's how we would often think. I mean, her reputation isn't exactly stellar in this community. And yet God uses her. God's goodness... God's goodness is pure. It's not based on whether we behave or not, whether we have right theology or not. God's goodness is pure. And if God is good, then we don't have to look elsewhere to find the things that satisfy us. We don't have to look for recreation that will satisfy us, or movies or entertainment, or drugs, or alcohol, or sex, or whatever it is. We, we all have some things 
that we turn to because we think they will give us goodness. And when we believe that God is good, what we find is that our life is good. And we don't have to start searching and looking elsewhere for God's goodness. Let me just say, I've told you all that these have been very powerful for me. These four G's. Because what I do is I remind myself when I'm acting in a way that I know is not right. I remind myself of these truths. And I say, what is the lie that I'm believing? So maybe, maybe I'm, you know, tired. And I've been working a lot. And I've been doing a lot of things. And so, you know, like we have a vacation coming up in a few weeks. And so maybe I get so focused on that vacation. I'm just going, man, if I can just get that break, I'll finally have some goodness in my life, and I'll finally have rest, and I'll finally be restored. But what could happen when I do that is I'm believing that God is not good right now. He hasn't given me everything yet, and so I've got to wait. And so I may miss everything that God is doing in between. And that's, that's not a... That's just on the top of my mind. But when it comes to sin, this turns into any of those things which we look at and we can say, you can become addicted to those. And there's a lot of those things. It can even be a phone, right? We've talked, people talk about that now, about phone addictions. Any of those things that we turn to, we're looking for a replacement for God's goodness. And we're trying to get fulfillment from there Rather than from God. Sometimes. Sometimes we enter into sinful activities. Because we're believing that God is holding back. That God hasn't quite given us everything. And so we need to go and take it. Or maybe we need to go and earn it. So the opposite of that. Is to believe that God is good. And so we don't have to look elsewhere. For me, I've shared this before, but I find it very helpful to name God's goodness in my life. And to start really small, really small. God, thank you that I'm standing in a room and it's a pretty comfortable temperature right now. Does that seem silly? That's, That's how I often start. Thank you, God, that these shoes are really comfortable. I've got some shoes on. Thanks, God. You know, and then I just move on from there. And pretty soon I find myself saying, you know, big things. Oh, God, thank you for my wonderful wife. For my kids. Thank you God that you put me in this place to live. Thank you God that I was born where I was. Thank, you know, and I just begin to name those things. And when you, I do that. I find it really hard. To say. God you're holding out on me. You haven't given me enough. You haven't been good enough. Truth is God is good. We don't have to look elsewhere. Let's pray. Father, we want to be your people. We want to live in obedience. And yet we know, God, that your goodness is bigger than that. That your goodness is true and real in our lives. And we simply need to ask for it. As Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you'd ask me, I would give you living water. So this morning, Lord, we ask that you would help us to have that living water that can only come from you. Forgive us for the times when we have gone looking for other things to fulfill that. We know, Lord, that you are the source. Thank you that you are God.
your name we pray. Amen.